Lessons for the Disciples that we can apply to our life today. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. This responsibility that the disciples had, but they didn't realize it. So he's teaching them about sharing the good news that Jesus died for our sins, sharing that with other people. And he says there's at least three steps to it, that there's plowing, there's planting, there's watering before the final reaping. The Packing House in Redlands welcomes you to today's Grow in Grace. We're going to study a story from John chapter 4 today with Pastor Ed Ray. Jesus has just shared the good news with the woman at the well and now the disciples show up marveling that Jesus was willing to cross cultural barriers to talk to this woman. A big no-no in that day. Let's see what we can take away from this. We're in chapter 4, starting in verse 27. And at this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men there, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for keeping it so that we might study from those who heard and saw and watched you. Speak to us now from it. Send your Holy Spirit to teach us that we might grow in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Opportunities. Thomas Edison, who died in 1931, gave us many pieces of technology. The inventor of the light bulb, phonograph, motion pictures. He was awarded more than a 
1,092 U.S. patents. He once said, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. So today we're with Jesus' disciples when they were missing an incredible opportunity. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus is teaching them about sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, evangelism, the first time that they learned that they have a responsibility to tell others about who he is. And they were missing an incredible opportunity here in this city of Sychar. And he's slowing them down so they not miss it. There's a lot of secular opportunities that have been missed that make easy illustrations. Albert Einstein was thought to be subpar because he couldn't speak until he was four years old. He couldn't read any letters until he was seven. That gives us all hope, doesn't it? His parents thought that he was mentally slow, unsociable, and adrift forever in foolish dreams. Expelled from high school, he was refused admittance to the Polytechnic High School for slow learners. He did eventually learn to speak and learn to do some math. (laughs) Pretty good. Apple Computer's founder, Steve Jobs, attempted to get Atari and HP, Hewlett Packard, interested in his and Steve Wozniak's personal computer. He wrote, so we went to Atari and said, hey, we've got this amazing thing, even built with some of your parts. And what do you think about funding us? Or we'll give it to you and you can just pay us to work for you. And they said, no. No, so we went to Hewitt Packard, and they said, hey, we don't need you. You haven't even gotten out of college yet. (laughs) Gosh, them $8 billion, that little decision of an opportunity missed. Our English word opportunity comes from two Latin words, op, O-B, portu, P-O-R-T-U, opportunity. In the early world, it meant a ship was waiting to go into a harbor before they could dredge out harbors. And that day you had to wait till it was high tide. So the captain of the ship was said to be opportunity at port. He was waiting for something to open up to allow him to take the ship in. God is speaking to us in our lives about opportunities. He's creating opportunities over and over again for you and I to learn how to share Christ naturally with people. I don't mean beat them over the head with your Bible, stuff it down their throats, but just to plant some seeds as he teaches in this section and to water every now and then. And then at some point, the harvest comes. Now, if you're just joining us, we've been in this section of chapter four where John records an event that happened in the city of Sychar. It's a Samaritan city. The Samaritans were not Jews. They had their own temple in this area, and they traced their lineage back to Jacob, who Israel, and he was the father of that area. He dug a well, and Jesus came to visit that area. We're told he needed to come. He needed to come because he had an appointment with a woman an unlikely person, a woman at a well. 
And so Jesus is sitting on this well. It's noon. It's hot part of the day. And this Samaritan woman approaches. And Jesus asks her for a drink of water, which stuns her because Jews didn't speak to women in public normally anyway, but especially a Samaritan woman. They were racially mixed. The Assyrian army 700 years earlier had brought in everything from Persians to Greeks to Italians to Gauls and then took all the people of that area that were Jews and sent them other places. And so not only did these peoples bring different races, they brought idol worship. And so the Samaritans were separated from the Jews, and Jews would never go into this area called Samaria. It's actually still that way today. There are still Samaritans, and there are still, the city is still there. It's called Askar today. But this woman is shocked by Jesus approaching her. He asked her for a drink of water. And she said, how is it that you, a Jew, would want to talk to me, a Samaritan woman? She knew the prejudices ran deep. First century, there was a gender problem, female, he was male. There was a racial problem between her background, and there was a religious problem. Other than that, everything was fine. So Jesus said, if you knew what it was that I'm asking for. If you understood who I am, you would have asked me for water. She didn't understand, and she began to talk about water and the necessities of it. Anyway, he changes the subject and says, go get your husband and come back. And she says, sir, I have no husband. And he said, that's true. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Shocker. Why was the creator of the world talking to a woman who was clearly not religious, not holy, not even interested in religion? He had a date. He had an appointment with her. God so loved the world. What? God so loved the entire world that he gave his only begotten son. So he goes out of his way to go to this area that Jews don't even normally, are not even normally found in. And then he approaches this woman and he discloses that he knows everything about her and she is flabbergasted by it. This section is the first place in the Gospels that describes evangelism. This responsibility that the disciples had, but they didn't realize it. So he's teaching them about sharing the good news that Jesus died for our sins, sharing that with other people. And he says there's at least three steps to it, that there's plowing, there's planting, there's watering before the final reaping. So all that is a setup to help us understand in our lives what God would have us to do with sharing our faith with others. Evangelism is not a popular subject. Most Christians struggle with that concept. Jesus is saying, you don't have to struggle with it. You just need to relax and be who you are. 
Here we have a section that breaks up into three parts. The disciples are learning this subject, how to share your faith, 27 through 34, and that it would lead to the harvesting. He uses some agricultural terms to people coming into salvation and going to heaven, verse 35 through 38. And then the success of this mission in this, this first time that they try evangelism and the impact that it has. So that's where we're going. I hope you find in it something that God's speaking to you about your own life. He certainly has to me. That's Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. We're in John chapter 4, and we left off at verse 27. Verse 27. And at this point, the, the Greek phrase there means at this specific time, or we might say today, in the nick of time, at the exact right moment, his disciples came. This woman is walking back to her village, and had they come earlier, they would have interrupted the conversation between Jesus and her. So it's at the exact moment, God's timing, they didn't know it, they just found themselves in the right moment, and that's the way it usually works in your life and in mine, opportunities. So they had left Jesus at the well. They knew he was tired and they went to get food and they came back and evidently had found food. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman. They were stunned that a Jewish rabbi was talking with a woman at all but this was a Samaritan woman of a different faith, and she had racial differences. And I keep underscoring that because I want you to feel the tension in this situation for the disciples. What, we have some responsibility to go to people of different races? Durr. <laughs> yes, that's the lesson they're learning. And maybe some of us here need to learn that lesson too. They marveled, and, and nobody asked him any questions because they were surprised that he was talking to one, but they didn't dare want to violate uh, Jesus. They considered him, they respected him too much to ask him. Now, the woman left her water pot. The whole reason she came was to get water. And she's so blown away by this encounter with Jesus that she leaves the pot there. And she goes back into the city and she spoke to the men there. The woman is going back into the town. Now, the city, this is the mountain called Gerizim. And it's the place that the Samaritans were worshiping 2,000 years ago. And by the way, they still worship there today. On the top of that hill, there was a temple built. And they actually, they actually on the, the top is the area where they are doing the Passover feast. So they still slay animals, lambs, at Passover time because they only had the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, and they didn't know anything about the later books, uh, particularly the Psalms. So Mount Gerizim, that's where they're meeting. Shechemit or Sychar, it says there, is the city of Shechem in the bottom right-hand corner is the well where Jesus met with this woman 
and you can still go there today. Let me encourage you to consider going and seeing these sites. It's just a statement. Somebody came up to me last night and said, well, I don't know very much about the Bible, but I want to learn. I said, come to Israel. I have seen a single trip to Israel for 10 days change a person's walk completely. It's the most startling thing you can do after receiving Christ in the first place to understand the Bible. Everything's right where it's supposed to be. And they found it most places by looking at the Bible and then going, archaeologists, going and digging up that spot. This is no exception. That's why they know this is Jacob's well. But it's the story of the woman at the well. Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And it goes back to 300 AD. You go sit at that well and it'll change you. Go stand on the steps of the temple where Jesus taught and it'll change you. Go walk along the Sea of Galilee and realize that's Capernaum right there where Jesus lived. And there's Peter's house the very house that he was in. And there's the synagogue that Jesus healed the hands of the man whose hand was crushed. It will impact your faith. It will change you forever. So this woman is left her water pot, goes back to the city, and she becomes an evangelist to the people that knew her well. It's interesting that she's just talking to the men probably because the woman wouldn't talk with her. She's already stole some of their husbands. And she says to the guys, come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Uh-oh. These guys are thinking. But it got their attention. Could this be the Messiah, the Christ? Another translation says, you don't suppose this could be the Messiah, do you? She believes he's the Messiah. And she's being very careful to not tell them what to do. She just opens the door. It's a picture of evangelism. How to share your faith with other people. They went out of the city and they looked for Jesus and they found him. Now, she's so sincere that they go to find out what she's talking about. And while that's happening, and they're starting to move back down towards that well. His disciples are back with food. They'd gone to town to get food. In verse 31, they urged Jesus and said, Rabbi, eat. We went to get food. We brought you some food. They're amazed that he's not a hungry. They're sitting there eating, and they're trying to understand and wondered if somebody else had given him food. But he said to them, verse 32, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Something was sustaining him besides food. We all need food. We all need water. We all need air. He was the same as us. But what he's saying was the spiritual thing he was doing was so fulfilling that he didn't need to think about food. His disciples started talking among themselves. Verse 33, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Did you guys sneak him something while I wasn't looking kind of a thing? Now, John calmly records how misunderstood 
the disciples are misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. He's talking about spiritual things and they're thinking physical things. Part of John's argument for the gospel is that they didn't know they were with the Messiah. They didn't realize that they were walking around Israel for three and a half years with God the Son. And they're astounded by it. And he's always talking about spiritual things and they're always talking about physical things like Nicodemus. Jesus said, you have to be born again. And he's thinking, I, I can't get born again. I'm an old man. And this is the same kind of a situation. They're talking about having corn dogs and he's talking about doing what God the Father had asked him to do. My food, verse 34, said, do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. To finish his work, what, what work is Father God doing? He's still doing creation. You are part of his creation. He knit you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139 says. And it uses the Hebrew word woven, like in mitosis, DNA strands unraveling and then going back together. You have 46 chromosomes that he designed. Well, I don't like the way he designed mine. Everybody has a complaint. You know, I'm too short, I'm too tall, my eyes are too close together, they're too far apart, my ears are too big, I wanted red hair and I got brown hair. It's so disappointing. God doesn't think so. He built you the way you are. And he likes it. God likes you. Well, I know he loves me. No, he likes you. I think that's a great truth that isn't shared very often. That God, the creator of the universe, likes you personally, individually. You matter to God. We always see all the flaws in our lives, at least if we're honest, and we think, well, he, he couldn't like me. He has to put up with me. He blew it when he made me, and now he has to live with it. No, he likes the way he made you. That's the work of creation. It's still going on. But there's another work that's as important, if not more, and this redemption people coming to a relationship with God. It's his design that people are born into this world and they do not know why they're here. Probably many of you in this place would say that about your own life right now. I don't know why I'm here. God wants you to know. And he wants you to be redeemed, bought back because of his death on a cross for you and to put you in a pathway that you were designed for. If you haven't found that yet, don't leave this morning until you've done that with him. Say, God, take my life, I surrender, show me what it is that I'm supposed to do. And you'll find significance in your life that you never thought possible. He is the creator. A great reminder from Pastor Ed that we're to surrender to the Lord and to his will for our life. The harvest is ripe, and God wants to use you to reap the harvest. This is Grow in Grace, and we're going through the New Testament together. 
You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org. And that's a great place to go and hear this program again and find more information about the Packing House Christian Fellowship. That's thepackinghouse.org. You can also call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE, and as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Chuck Smith titled, Why Grace Changes Everything. You'll discover the difference grace will make for you. It transforms our lives into something beautiful. Read all about it in this Christian classic, and we'll send it your way when you support Grow in Grace with a gift of any amount. You can reach us again at 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. You know, and even if you're not in a position to be able to give, we still want to hear from you. Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed. This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of John. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and hope.